Hi, welcome to New Hope Community Church Online. The sermon you are about to hear was originally given by Pastor Chuck Wilson. New Hope Community Church, to know, to live, and to share Jesus Christ. The title today is How to Really Live, Mark 8, 34 to 38. We're going to finish up chapter 8, 34 to 38, How to Really Live. As you know, I like to read history books. I just finished another good one. I read lots and lots of history books, and especially war history. And I'm always fascinated by bravery, the heroic accomplishments and these amazing sacrifices that people make in battle. And many of these individuals who survived the battles often talk about passing from a fear of dying. They are they're in the battle and they're terrified and they won't get up out of their foxhole and all of a sudden they get this peace that comes over them. They don't fear dying, dying anymore and they, have, they experience this total surrender of their life which allows them to do the unimaginable in war. Save a, one of their friends dying out in the middle, of the, you know, go pull them out of, the, out of the bullet, machine gun bullets or whatever it is. But they, they pass from that fear of death which allows them to do, accomplish amazing things. Similar stories I hear from people who are facing deadly diseases. They're facing possible death, and many of these people achieve, achieve an incredible peace. And their secret, as I talk to them and pray with them and process all this with them, is they surrender to whatever God wants for their life. And once they reach that point where they surrender to whatever God wants for their life, they live in a whole new realm. They talk about this whole new realm. They are able to live life to its fullest each day, completely free of that fear because they're living life to the, its fullest. And we're going to see that Jesus teaches this spiritual lesson here in Mark chapter 8, this lesson about how to really live life. If you weren't here the last couple weeks, we talked about how Jesus had predicted his death, his own death, his crucifixion on the cross. Then Peter resisted it, and just like we will resist a lot of times what God wants, we, he resisted it. And then Jesus says, hey, we're going to see that he says, not only am I going to die, but you better be prepared to die. You're going to suffer too. And this message isn't just for the disciples, it's for each one of us. Let me pray to start this. Father, we thank you for the worship today. We thank you for this new year and this communion Sunday. And I know we all would like to forget some things from last year, but we can do that by your mercy and by your grace. Your grace is enough. We can, we can start new today in this year, forgiven and cleansed and by your grace get back up on our feet and move forward spiritually. And I pray that each one of us would really understand your, the words of your son, Jesus, how to live a real life here. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, let's read the passage, Mark 8, 34 to 38. Wild passage, one of my favorites of all time. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me and the gospel will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world yet forfeit his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? 
If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. You probably already figured this out. The secret to really living is to die. The secret to really living is to die. Put on your seatbelts. Get ready. We see Jesus begins by calling the crowd and his disciples to him. And we always know what's coming next. Whenever Jesus calls the crowd along with his disciples, this big crowd, that means guess what's coming? A really hard sermon. Imagine every time the church started to grow here and I blew everybody out of the water with a really hard sermon. It's not very hard to imagine, is it? Uh, but uh, that, that's what Jesus does. Be, every, he's always thinning the crowd because he knows the crowd is just following him for the miracles and the bread. They just want the bread. Where's, you know, we had the feeding 5,000, feeding 4,000. Where's the bread? And want more miracles. Heal me, heal me, heal me, right? Not because they're spiritually seeking, but because they're selfishly looking for something. So he thins the crowd constantly. All throughout the New Testament, all throughout the book of Mark, we see him thinning the crowd. If all the churches in the United States did this, preach the way Jesus preached, preach the word of God, we would be much smaller. The churches would be much smaller, but we would make a much bigger impact in this country. If you, have, you all have an insert in your bulletin, you want to pull that out. I put something together for this. And there's three keys to really living. Really living. Three hard things for them and for us to hear. But they're vital. They're hard to hear, but they're vital. There's three keys. If you really want to live life, there's three keys here. We'll pick it up with verse 34. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself. He must deny himself. And the first key is to deny ourselves. Now, this isn't talking about self-denial. That's a whole different thing. Although that's an important discipline, self-denial. Many of us made New Year's resolutions. Uh, Ed asked me, what's your new, new Year's resolution this year? And I said, I'm just treading water. I just want to be able to keep treading water. You know? uh, uh, keep, keep my head above the water. But a lot of us make these resolutions which rarely last, right? You know, I looked out, the, Kim and I were looking out the window on uh, New Year's Day, and there's, I thought there was a road race going on, you know? you know? Is there a road race in our neighborhood? You know, people running, everybody's running, running, running. We were laughing because, we you know, by the next Monday, there won't be many people out there, you know, maybe one or two people. Uh, we have, we make resolutions about our diet, which rarely lasts, or, or we're going to give up smoking, or we're going to, whatever it is, we, we all make these resolutions, but, and that's important to Practice self-denial. I'm not minimizing that. You want to really make a good New Year's resolution? Read the Bible. Every day I'm going to read some of the Bible. Or I'm going to memorize some of the Bible. Or I'm going to pray through some of the Bible. You know, that's what, those are great resolutions. But self-denial is important. But that's not what this is talking about. This is talking about something else. Not self-denial, but denying self. Denying self, it's different. It means to, it means to self-surrender. Self-surrenders is what it's talking about. Surrendering to Jesus Christ. What Jesus is talking about here is surrendering to him and his will for our life. That starts with salvation when you put your faith in Jesus Christ. We're going to be celebrating communion here in a few minutes. But that's what, when we surrender our life to Jesus Christ at salvation, we say, God, I believe my sin separates me from you. You gave your son Jesus Christ to die in my place on that cross. And not only did he die, but he rose again from the dead to prove he was the son of God. And I 
repent of my sin. I don't want it anymore. I put my faith in Jesus Christ, what he did, and I give my life to him. I surrender my life to him. That starts at salvation. But then it has to be a daily surrender. The Bible also teaches a daily surrender. And here's a surrender test. Are we denying, uh, have we, are we denying self? The surrender test. How do we respond when God asks us to surrender something or someone? How do we respond when we lose something or someone? Could be something big, could be something small. How do we respond? Go angry and mad and, you know, throw a temper tantrum. Not that we all got to work through anger. David does it in the Psalms all the time. I'm not short-circuiting what we have to go through. But do we get bitter at God? Mad at God? Or do we surrender it and say, God, you must have a purpose for this. You must, you're in this somehow. You have a purpose for this. How, that's surrender to us. That tells us if we're denying self. The second thing, and same thing in verse 34, is also here where he says, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Take up his cross and follow me. Not only do we have to deny ourselves, but we have to die to self. When what, That's what taking up the cross and following Jesus really means. In Jesus' time, when someone took up the cross, they were dead. They were a dead man. Once the Romans put the cross on the back and they started to walk in the, the, the path, there was no going back. They knew the Romans were going to kill them. They were a dead man. They were as good as dead, even though they were, they were the walking dead. And we are called to carry our cross. We're called to be willing to die physically. And many did. The, the apostles, we've talked about the apostles and all they went through, right? Uh, Eleven out of the twelve apostles were martyred. They were killed. The only one who wasn't killed was, was the apostle John. He was boiled in oil. He didn't die, so they stuck him on an island. They couldn't kill him. Because God wasn't done with him yet. He still had to write the book of Revelation. Mark, Mark who wrote these very words, Peter's Giving them the, the giving them the stories, and he's writing them down as the Holy Spirit was leading him. The, I saw something in the voice of the martyrs I saved from a while back. It says, "Mark, um, Mark the evangelist was a servant of Paul and Barnabas." I'll just read a few highlights of what happened to Mark. Mark, who wrote these words, by the time Paul and Peter had both been martyred, Mark had become a capable capable evangelist in his own right. At Peter's urging, Mark had traveled throughout Egypt, converting many to Christianity and spreading the gospel. Finally, Mark moved to Alexandria where he had a profound influence on the foundation and shape of the church. The leaders of Alexandria, a city deeply rooted in paganism, hated Mark for this, but they took several years, it took them several years to take action against them, him. In the eighth year of Nero's reign, pagan priests in a hostile crowd seized Mark as he preached in the church in Alexandria about the sufferings of Christ. They tied him with ropes, fastened him with hooks to his body, and dragged him away from the congregation. As they dragged him through the streets and out of the city, his skin was torn by the stones. Bloodied but still alive, Mark found himself in prison at the end of the day. The Lord strengthened and comforted him that night. But the crowd repeated the treatment the next day, again dragging his body through the streets with the hooks. 
According to tradition, Mark commended his spirit to God on April 21st in the year 64. And heaven received another martyr. Mark lived it out. The, the apostles who Jesus are, is talking to lived it out. They lived it out. Many still do. <clears throat> if you get the book, Voice of the Martyrs or uh, Church Open Door Ministries, Open Doors, Andrew's uh, ministry there, Open Doors, you see these stories of, of the persecutions that are increasing at an, a crazy rate, which Matthew 24 tells us is going to happen as Jesus gets closer to coming back. I, we just watched the movie, The Good Lie. I don't know if anybody's seen The Good Lie. It's a, it's a good movie. Uh, there's in the movie, they kind of make it look like it's about Sudan and persecution in Sudan, and it's written, made by secular people. So they kind of make it look like a, a civil war, although they do show the people who are being persecuted reading their Bibles. So they give a hint of it, but it's not a civil war. The story's about persecution. This is Christians being killed for being Christians. And it's, gonna ha it's still happening all over the, all the world. It's going to happen here someday. We know it, Matthew 24, and you'll be hated by all nations. All nations. But dying to self is more than just physical death. It means also to die to all of ourself. It's not just being willing to die physically, but it's being willing to die to our life goals and desires. That's also what carrying the cross means. And instead to follow Jesus Christ and his goals and his desires for our life. Death to self starts at salvation. The moment you put your faith in Jesus Christ and say, I, I repent of sin, I don't want my old life anymore, and I put my faith in Jesus Christ, I give my life to him, our old self dies. We talk about this a lot at baptism. In fact, in Romans 6, this is one we often share down at the island during the baptisms, Romans 6, 1 says this, What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means we died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. If we have been united with him like this in his death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. The moment you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you are on the cross. Your old sinful nature has been put on the cross and crucified with Jesus Christ. We're dead. It starts at salvation. That's, that's when it happens. But it doesn't stop there. And this is the key for us. It doesn't stop there. When you put your faith in Christ, we're dead to self. But it doesn't stop. We still have to keep dying daily. It's a once-time decision at salvation. But then the practical living is a daily decision we have to make. Galatians 2.20 talks about this. It says, I have, been, I have been crucified with Christ. And I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. We've been crucified. We've been killed. That, we're done. But we still have to live daily by faith. Just like we're saved by faith, every day we have to live by faith. Each day, each hour, each minute, each second. It's constantly living by faith. 
to overcome the struggles and strongholds and, and battles and sin and, and trials in our life. We have to live by faith to keep growing spiritually. It's that living by faith. So we have denying self plus dying to self equals something amazing now. It equals finding ourselves. It's in your insert there. Finding ourselves. If we deny ourselves and die to self, we will equals finding ourselves. But not the way you think. Look at verse 35. Back to Mark chapter 8, verse 35. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me and, for, and the gospel will save it. Hmm. We must find ourselves, but this is not the way you normally think of finding yourself, right? So many people try to find themselves. It's our whole society's search, right? But we, all, we often look in the wrong places with the wrong motives. It's usually selfish. I'm going to really start living for me. You ever feel like that? You ever hear anybody say that? You ever see that on TV, right? In the movies? I'm going to really live for me now. And I'm gonna, it's, but it's selfish, finding myself. Selfish, living for me. And how do, how do we end up when we do that? Miserable. Empty. Even in, we shift gears. Some of us may even over these last week of vacation try to live for ourselves for a day. How do we feel? Yuck, right? It's terrible living for ourselves. It's empty. No, it's only by finding Jesus Christ and giving our life to Him that we will find real life. It goes against the world's thinking. The world says, live for yourself to find yourself. Jesus says, lose yourself to find yourself in me. But it's scary for us, isn't it? It's scary to give up control. To do this, we have to give up control. And a lot of you, you remember what it first felt like? You felt like you were losing yourself. And you were. We were losing all the garbage. But, but it, it was scary. It's scary to give up control. We feel like we're losing ourselves, but really it's just the opposite. We become the person we were created to be. We keep, become somebody who's brand new. Once again, this starts at salvation. The moment you put your faith in Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. The moment you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you become a brand new creation. You're like an alien creature, you know, hybrid, you know, divine. You got the Spirit of God inside of you now, and you're human, and you become a brand new creation. Really, the person you were always meant to be. We were created to be like Adam and Eve, you know, perfect in the beginning. Sin has messed us up, messed up our DNA. We're a mess. But when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you have Jesus Christ DNA. And we become a brand new person, the person we were always created to be. But it's a lifelong process. Yeah, at the moment of salvation, you become a brand new person, but you're really like a little baby. It's a lifelong process to grow spiritually. It's a lifelong process to learn how to lose our life. Jesus says we have to lose our life. It's a lifelong process to learn how to lose our life, the sinful life. The selfish life, the worldly life, the, the, that part of life that we have to lose. But the more we lose of that, the more we win, the more we gain. But we have to lose the things that hold us back spiritually. We have to lose them. The biggest loser. Yeah, I remember when I first saw the show advertised and the kids were watching and, and I'd be like, that doesn't, oh, they're making fun of people, I guess. You know, they're, you know, the biggest loser, the biggest loser is the person who is the biggest mess and they, they lose the show. But as I watched, started watching the show with the kids sometimes, I realized that, no, the biggest loser was the person who is 
they were losing weight. That was their battle. They lose the weight. And the more weight they lose, the more they win in the show. And, and in the end, the person who lost the biggest percentage wins the show. But I was thinking, you know, spiritually, it's the same thing. We all have a lot of spiritual weights that we need to lose. But the more that we give up of that sinful self, that selfish self, that worldly self, the more we give up of that, the more we win, the more we gain, right? The big, and this is what Jesus is teaching. The biggest loser comes from the Bible. The biggest winner is the biggest loser, according to the words of Jesus. He goes into more detail in verses 36 to 38 here, where he says, For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me and the gospel will save it. Verse 36, What good is it for a man to gain the whole world, yet forfeit his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. This illustrates what Jesus has just been talking about. What good is it to gain the whole world? And all it has to offer, which is really emptiness, what good is it to gain it all but lose your soul? What, what good does that do? I remember a bumper sticker I used, used to be popular a while back. Whoever dies with the most toys wins. Remember that bumper sticker? How stupid is that? No, whoever dies with the most toys loses and is dead. <laughs> right? Loses. If we, Jesus gives a warning here. If we don't act on Jesus Christ's first coming, we will be sorry at his second coming. We're going to be sorry at the second coming. What is keeping you from putting your faith in Jesus Christ and giving your life to him? You may be here and you've never given your life to Jesus Christ. You've never put your faith in him. You've never experienced that new birth and salvation. What is keeping you from doing that? I want to ask you something. Is it worth it? Is it worth your soul now and forever? Is it worth it? But this warning isn't just for those who haven't put their faith in Jesus, which I hope, if you haven't done, I hope you do today for Communion Sunday. But it's not just for them. It's for all of us, for Christians too. Because Jesus isn't just preaching to the crowd. He's preaching to his disciples who are already following him. They're already saved. And he's speaking to us as well too. What will we do with this life? What will we do with this life? Will we invest it or waste this life? Because only what we do for Jesus Christ will last. That's what he's teaching here. Only what we do for Jesus Christ is eternal. And it can be anything. It could be ministry. A lot of us do different ministries, you know. I'll, I hope you're all plugged in somewhere doing something. We do a lot of different ministries or helping people or reaching out, helping people in need. Those are easy, but it doesn't just have to be that. It could be anything. It could be your work. It could be the money that you earn and what you do with that money. It could be your school, what you do at school. It could be your sport. It could be what you do in the neighborhood. It could be anything if it's for Jesus Christ. And there's a test. There's a test here that Jesus, I don't know if you caught it. There's a test that we can apply to anything. Back in verse 35. But whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. For me and the gospel, that's a test of how we're investing something. That's a test for me and the gospel. Am I doing this, whatever it is, could be anything. Am I doing this for Jesus, then it's eternal. Am I doing it for Jesus, and is it helping me share the gospel? See that test? 
Is it, is it for Jesus? And is it helping me share the gospel? The good news, the gospel just means the good news of Jesus Christ. Is it helping me do that? If it does, then it has an eternal effect. And we're winning. I can't remember who sent me this, but I got a great illustration. I'm going to show you a video here. It's called, I got off at George Street. And it was, it's told by David Smethurst. I was going to read it, but I'm like, I love this guy's English accent, and it's about Australia, so uh, it's awesome. Uh, it's a little bit grainy, the video, but you can go on the podcast and watch it again. They're going to be on the podcast. It's a little grainy, but just, just listen, because the words are just powerful, illustrating this point. This story started many years ago in a Baptist church in Bournemouth, England. One Sunday night, the pastor, Dr. Francis Dixon, asked a man named Peter to share his testimony. Peter got up and said, this is how I was saved. I was in the Royal Navy. I was walking down George Street in Sydney, Australia, and out of nowhere stepped a gentleman, and he said to me, excuse me, sir, could I ask you a question? I hope that it won't offend you, but if you were to die today, where would you spend eternity? The Bible says that it will either be in heaven or in hell. Would you think about that, please? Thank you. God bless you. Then the man left. I'd never been confronted with that question. I couldn't get it out of my mind. I got back to England, met someone who took me to a mission, and that's where I became a Christian. Some while later, they had a youth meeting in the same church in Bournemouth, and Noel, one of the visiting team, shared his testimony. This is how I came to know Jesus Christ. I was in the Royal Navy, and my ship was stationed in Sydney. One evening, I was walking down George Street when out of nowhere stepped a man. He said to me, young man, I have a question to ask you. If you should die tonight, where would you go? Would it be heaven or hell? Now, don't try to evade the question. It must be one or the other. What he said bothered me for many months. I sought out a Christian. He helped me, and I gave my life to Christ. My Baptists love testimonies like that. The Baptist pastor from England was now very puzzled. Not long afterwards, he was preaching in Adelaide, South Australia, when he decided to tell the story of Peter and Noel's separate encounters with the man in George Street. As he did so, a man jumped up excitedly and said, I'm another, I'm another. I was drawn to receive Christ the same way by the same man on George Street. This was Corporal Murray Wilkes, who had been in a hurry to catch his tram on George Street, when a voice behind him called, Hey, wait! Murray stopped and turned around. The stranger in front of him asked, Soldier, if you were to die tonight, where would you go? Would it be heaven or hell? I hope I'd go to heaven, replied Murray. Hoping isn't good enough, said the stranger. You can know. The stranger's question had exposed a raw nerve in Murray's life. Although he was a good-living, church-going, married man, he also knew he was a hypocrite and had never faced the question of eternal destiny. Two weeks later, Murray knelt in the army barracks and gave his life to Christ. Dr. Francis Dixon continued his tour, and when preaching in Perth, he once again shared the stories. Afterwards, a young man came up to him and told how he too had been in the Navy, had visited George Street, and had become a Christian after meeting the stranger with his compelling question. When Dr. Dixon finally arrived in Sydney, he was eager to find out more about this urban missionary, and he asked a Christian worker, Who's this man in George Street? I know him well. His name is Frank Jenner. Francis Dixon was taken to a humble little house where he was introduced to Frank Jenner. As Francis related the story of the four young servicemen who had come to know Christ through his simple question, Frank began to weep. I've never heard that anyone I'd spoken to had gone on for the Lord. Some made the decision when I talked to them at a Saturday night of witnessing and then came home for breakfast on a Sunday morning. Sometimes 30 people came home with me, but I never knew any more than that. Frank had carried on this work for 16 years, and this was the first time he'd heard of any lasting results. I would say 
He really had to be committed to show that sort of gratitude and love for Jesus, to do that for so many years and not hear of any results. Over the next few years, Francis Dixon preached around the world, and he told the story of Frank Jenner from time to time. In the UK, at an evangelical convention, where pastors came to him, saying they had been arrested by the stranger with his startling question. In India, at a missionary convention where an Indian man had come to Sydney on one visit and had been confronted by Frank's question. He had received Christ and eventually gone into Christian ministry. In Jamaica, at a missionary conference where a couple of missionaries had come to Jesus years before at Frank Jenner's witness. In the United States, at a naval chaplain's conference, he shared about the man of George Street and his witness. A chaplain stood and shared that he too had come to Christ as a result of Frank Jenner's arresting question. It's impossible to know how many lives were touched by that one-line sermon, but it's safe to say that Frank Jenner's legacy is measured in terms more lasting than simple numbers can convey. Frank recounted his own journey of faith, which is every bit as remarkable as the lives of those he touched. Before I knew Jesus, he said, I lived the wild life of a sailor to the full and had become addicted to gambling. Then in 1937, I met my Savior for the first time and my life was transformed. The addiction to gambling, gone forever. In gratitude for his second chance at life, he pledged to serve God to the best of his ability. He said, each day my aim was to speak to 10 people about Jesus and I did so for 28 years until Parkinson's disease took its toll. In wartime and in peace, good times and bad, I continued with the work that I promised to do. It has been estimated that over the years, Frank talked to more than 100,000 people, actually more than most pastors would address in their lifetime. In later years, Frank's health deteriorated, and during his last days, he prayed, Lord, please take me home on a Sunday night. His last request was granted. He died at a quarter to midnight, just at the end of a Sunday night. The next morning, a ray of sunlight shone through the open window. It fell upon his beloved well-worn Bible and the solitary rose resting on it. No one except a little group of Christians in Sydney knew Frank Jenner. But I tell you, his name was famous in heaven. Heaven knew him, and you can imagine the welcome he received when he went home to glory. Jesus said, if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father in heaven. Personally, I think Jesus confessed Frank's name very often to his Father in heaven. And conversely, Jesus said, if you don't confess me before men, I won't confess you before my Father in heaven. Actually, that's where it's best to be recognized, you know, in heaven, by your heavenly Father rather than on earth, because that's where our reward is too. Personally, I don't think Frank Jenner's face would ever have been published on the cover of any prestigious Christian publication or his story carry more than a few paragraphs in a Christian magazine. But God has made sure that his story has been told to honor this man who honored Jesus so much. God bless you and empower you to be a bold and unembarrassed witness for Jesus Christ. Wow. Huh? That'll be on the podcast or if you want, I can email it to you. But that just, I just found that really, it really sums up this passage, doesn't it? For me in the gospel, how is the Holy Spirit speaking to us this morning? Are we really living? Are we really living for now and eternity? How do we need to deny or die to self so that we can really find ourselves? 
our God-given self, our Christ-centered self, the purpose that God has given us for this life and, and the fulfillment that he wants us to have. How do we need to deny and die to self so that we can find our Christ-given self? Maybe here today and you've never put your faith in Jesus Christ. And just as we heard on the video, would you be going to heaven or to hell? You can answer that question today by putting your faith in Jesus Christ and giving your life to him. That's what communion is all about. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Have you ever put your faith in Jesus Christ and given your life to him? And for those of us who have already done that, communion is all about remembering the death of Jesus Christ, his sacrifice, and recommitting ourselves to him, reconnecting in with Jesus. That's communion, reconnecting, and, and recommitting. It's a time of confession. It's a time of consecration, a time of commitment. It's a New Year's resolution every month when we have communion that we're going to, we're recommitting ourselves to deny ourselves and die to self so that we can really find ourselves by living for Jesus Christ. How we do communion is we just uh, have some worship music play. And then when you feel ready, you can come up and take the bread and take the cup. And you can take it back to your seat and take it by yourself. You can take it with your family or whoever, however you feel that. It's just between you and God. The only two reasons why I would say don't do it are, number one, if you haven't put your faith in Christ and you're not ready to do that, don't take the Lord's Supper. That's for only that. And nobody's going to be, we don't videotape, we don't know who's taking it or not. This is between you and God. We're all just praying during this time. Or if there's a sin in our life that we're not willing to surrender. Notice I didn't say that we don't struggle with because none of us could take communion. But something we're not willing to surrender to say, God, help me. I need your mercy and grace in this battle. Help me. I need to commune with you because I need your grace to help me in this battle. I hope everybody takes the Lord's Supper, but that's between you and God. But I hope everybody does put their faith in Christ and surrender whatever we need to surrender. Let's pray. How is the Holy Spirit speaking to us through the words of Jesus Christ this morning? Maybe you haven't put your faith in Jesus yet. You've never surrendered your life to him. But the words of Jesus in John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. These words are for you. They're for each one of us this morning. And you can... Surrender your life to Jesus right now, right where you're sitting, by praying from your heart to God. Ask him to forgive you. Say, God, I, I ask you to forgive my sin. I repent of my old life. Anything in my life that goes against what you want for my life, against your word, I repent of it and ask you to forgive me. I believe Jesus, your son, died on the cross for me to pay for my sin so that I could have a new life. 
I ask you to forgive me because I'm putting my faith in your son Jesus, my hope, my trust, my faith in Jesus. And I'm going to follow him. I give my life to you, God. Forgiveness, faith, and following. If you've prayed that prayer this morning, then you've just started off the year 2015 in an amazing way because you have a brand new life. You're a new creation in Christ. The Holy Spirit is in you. You're in for the shock of your life because you're never going to be the same again. And you can commune with Jesus anytime. To this morning, take the communion, but you can commune with God anytime through his son Jesus. You can talk to him anytime. I want to encourage you to let somebody know if you've prayed that prayer and given your life to Jesus. Tell me on the way out. Fill out the card in the bulletin. Text me, call me. People reach out to me all kinds of different ways. But let somebody know. If it's not me, you maybe have a family member, a friend. Tell somebody so that we can be excited and, and help you grow in your new faith. For those of us who have already put our faith in Christ, how is the Spirit speaking to us? How can we prepare for this communion time? How do we need to live by faith? We know we're saved by faith, but how are we going to live by faith? What in our life, as we pray this, preparing here, what in our life do we need to deny? How do we need to deny ourselves and die to self so that we can find our God-given self? The real life he wants us to have. Father, I pray for your Holy Spirit to touch us in a deep and special way during this communion time convicting us and showing us where we need to die and deny so that we can really live in your son Jesus I pray this in his name